Greetings, everybody. I had a suggestion from my friend Larissa Conte, and what she said to me was this. She said, Gray, you're in a position where you're learning quite a bit of information and you're releasing podcasts, which is cool and great, but it is a long-form style podcast and typically the episodes go anywhere from an hour and 20 minutes to two and a half hours being the longest one I've had so far. And she said, you should do some recaps. You should do some short videos or shorter videos that are 15 to 30 minutes long, just recapping the information from, say, three episodes So it's a very good idea. So Larissa, thank you. If you're listening to this, I really appreciate that. So what I'm going to start doing, you guys, is every three episodes, I'm going to do a synthesis, uh, a summary, or, you know, a distilled down recap version of the podcast. So that way you can sort of glean um, the gems and the key points, but also, should you have your interest peaked, you can actually go back and listen to the entire episode, but I think it might be a way to make things more digestible. So, So here we go. Episode one was with Javier Rodriguez. Javier Rodriguez is a disciple of Dr. Yang Jung Ming. Dr. Yang is a very prominent martial artist and a huge contributor to the field of Chinese medicine. So he's written 40 plus books on mind body, uh, qigong practices, gong fu, health, wellness, meditation. He's a a prolific figure in the Chinese medicine martial arts community. So he's really got something special going on. And he started a 10-year program back in 2008 where he wanted to take on disciples that were willing to learn in the quote-unquote old way, which means that they would come and live on this mountain, 240 acres, uh, a full compound of sorts with training facilities, uh, a garden where they could grow their own food, and live there for 10 years non-stop and train the old way and really dive deep into the martial arts and these medicine traditions. So Javier was not in the original 10-year group. Um, a lot of people, as you could probably expect over the years, quit or dropped out because it was too intense. They couldn't handle it. And so Javier um, heard about the program but came out the second year and he stayed the duration. So he was actually a nine-year disciple and this episode, when we talk about it, you know, was called Insights from the Mountain. You know, nine years on the mountain. Um, what did he pick up? Like, what did he learn? The episode is amazing for, for a few different reasons. For one, for a person to plug into that rhythm. If you can imagine, he and I are roughly the same age. We're, I think, maybe half a year apart, give or take. And at 27, in his late 20s, he went to the mountain, stayed there from 27 to 37 which is very intense to think about to actually at that age for me in my 20s to settle down for 10 years in one spot and train one thing or a series of things from a tradition I don't know if I could have done it but Javier is a different breed and he he did it and that episode we talk about his experience of being on the mountain why Dr. Yang decided to go this route um, and Dr. Yang's contention was definitely that the arts were dying that was a big piece and the traditional methods were dying, and the collective skill level, the actual cultivation of real-time skill in these arts and in these medicine traditions were were fading. And I would agree, but very few people were willing to, you know, put their life savings on the line to facilitate such things. And that's what Dr. Yang did. And during that episode, I talked to you know Javier about his struggles, what was difficult about the journey, what were the common threads between the people that actually did stay on the mountain. And there's these huge threads of, of discipline, 
um, the traditional threads you find in martial arts, discipline, honor, respect, and just that unrelenting edge to keep training something that is difficult. Because a lot of people struggle with training anything. And when it gets difficult, most people try to sidestep it or go around it. And when you're in a program like that, and you're on a mountain for 10 years, there's no escaping unless you bail and quit. And I think for Javier, that simply wasn't an option. He decided, I'm not going to quit. I'm going to stay and I'm going to do this. But it's really interesting to hear about his perspective on the time he spent on that mountain, what he gained, what he learned, and then how he went about this process in a very traditional, classical way, and then decided to to move forward and teach and use those traditional arts, but also, to a degree, modernizing the approach a little bit, because that was a, a thread that we talked about and that we've discussed in our evolving friendship over the last five, six years, has just been, how do you continue to cultivate the arts when the intention span and the average... Western person is becoming physically less fit, not physically as strong, and mentally less sharp because of the lifestyles we live. We're very sedentary. We're always plugged into our devices. We're always um, living in a way that's, quote-unquote, not particularly natural. And so this whole episode was about, we're about these things. How do you navigate this terrain? And in and of itself, living on the mountain for, for 10 years, I mean, there's a rhythm. Their days were long. And we talk about this, that their their days start with meditation at 6 a.m. From 6 to 7 is meditation. From 7 to 8 is qigong and, and movement arts. And I believe from 8 to 9 was breakfast. And then from 9 to 11, give or take, was tai chi and um, the soft internal art training. And then... Um, uh, there's a there's a gap in there I'm missing, but around 12 <clears throat> was lunch, and then 12 to 2 was lunch, plus a nap if you wanted to get a nap in there, and then from 2 to 7, that last five hours, <clears throat> excuse me, was the hard martial art training, the external gong fu, Shaolin training, white crane, a bunch of different, um, and I think white crane was actually done in the morning also, but the, the long and the short of it is, from 6 a.m., there's a break in the middle until 7 p.m. Every day they're training. They're training martial arts. They're training Qigong. They're training Tai Chi. And then they do that six days a week. Sundays they get off. And by off, they still have a ton of work to do. They've got media production. They've got all these things they have to learn to do because Dr. Yang really pushed them to to learn how to use media because he said if you can't circulate these these arts in a digital way for people to visually see and to learn from – it's it's not profitable for one you're not going to be able to like make a living doing this and two it's just the way the modern trend is going things need to be put on film they need to be put on dvds they need to be put online into streaming formats so all of that in addition to them being um you know pushed into learning chinese as well the language and it's remarkable you know they had summers off and again that's totally air quotes because during the summer, they have off, they're not technically training, but then they would have people come from all over the world training um, this material, and that put the disciples in a position to teach, because that's important if you're going to pass these arts on, become a good teacher, but also when you teach something, which I know from teaching Tai Chi, when you look at something from the outside, you think about it differently and you learn better. So there, there was a huge... Um, the, the idea and the ramifications of just understanding how intense this training was to be there for that long, it's an amazing 
story to hear. And it's really worth dropping into just to hear his perspective on how and why things are the way they are in, in the martial arts these days and where they're going and the gems that he picked up from being on the mountain for nine years. So that's a quick recap of episode one. You guys, if you want to check it out, you can definitely drop in and um, see that episode. Javier Rodriguez is is the guest name. He, you can find him on social media. You can find him on Instagram. On um, It's at RomeFit with Javi. And that with is just a W. So RomeFit W Javi, which is J-A-V-I. And you can follow his his um his whole path of what he's doing with these arts now and the other key point that i didn't mention in the podcast which i wish i would have was that anybody can go there and train on the mountain right now that the school and this the the programs because there's a five-year program there's a three-year program there there was a 10-year program which now is complete but there are programs ongoing on this mountain and you can go there and visit and live there. You can either camp outside in a tent or you can have um, housing inside the main lodge house. And you can train there with them full time as long as you would like. And you can partake in as much or as little as the activities as you would like. That's how I found it. When I graduated in 2013, I went there for two months full time and I lived in a 10 by 14 tent. I definitely wasn't roughing it. I had a carpet and plush bedding. It was awesome. But I needed that decompression from being in a five-year grad program. I was very unwell. I felt I wasn't life-threatening sick by any stretch of the means, but I didn't feel well. I was I was overweight, I was inflamed. My mind was scattered. I was I was a little paler. I just everything about my body was not good. You're not supposed to sit for 5 years just cramming information into your head. It's not a it's not a good thing for anybody. So, very grateful for the education, but that was how I I got out. Um that's how I exited my program was I went and lived with these guys. Um, and, and one girl, Michelle Lynn, who was there, who I'm going to have on the podcast, but she um, she was the only woman there, and the rest were all guys, and they were there for they were there for a long time. So it's worth checking out. You guys can train there. It's a, it's a pretty cool experience if you ever want to be exposed to it, and they're very accommodating to all skill levels, even if you don't have a lot of martial art training. So in episode two, moving on, I had Neil Hennigar. Neil is a Neil is a lot of things. He's got a lot of um, tools in his tool belt, but what we were specifically talking about and what we were discussing was his relationship to facilitating combo medicine to people. And um, he also does you know, massage and body work. He's also very entrepreneurial. He's got um, some very cool things happening, um, land that he's purchased that will facilitate research and development of the combo medicine. And the, the combo medicine comes from the combo frog. The combo frog is an Amazonian tree frog that's about a foot across when its legs are fully open. So it's a very large, electric green, luminous frog. It's beautiful if you see it online. But the secretions that come out of this frog are... They used to classify it as a poison, and it's no longer classified as a poison. It's a... I forget the the name they give it now. I don't know if it's a compound or if it's a, a peptide secretion, but... The polypeptides, the um, the compounds that are found in this, the secretions from this tree frog are profound, to say the least. And what combo is and how people are dialoguing with it nowadays is combo is seen as a detoxification and health purification ritual of sorts. Traditionally, from what Neil was saying in the episode, is that 
combo medicine was used prior to ayahuasca ceremonies because apparently the uh, compound profile, the polypeptides that are found in the combo medicine, facilitate what you would call a more open, expansive, and cleaner experience with the ayahuasca medicine, which is a psychotropic, psychedelic substance. Um, the combo medicine is not psychedelic. It is not psychotropic. It is most definitely a very intense experience, which I have partaken in only twice. And Neil and people who are practitioners and people who are just more diligent with it will tell you that the health benefits seem to build over time. But it's a very intense experience. But people are coming to combo and going to combo medicine to address ailments, chronic, sometimes autoimmune-related problems, or they're having some sort of chronic recalcitrant disease that just will not go away. And combo has been shown to have tremendous effects in helping people in these areas when traditional, or I would I should say mainstream modern methods are not working for them. So people come to it as an alternative therapy, but it's it's incredibly powerful. And some of the things that Neil talks about in that episode is just, you know, the reversal of some syndromes, some people with autoimmune problems, liver problems, um, things like, you know, fatty liver or cirrhosis. He talks about how combo has um, benefited people who are going through cancer. There's a lot of tremendous health benefits and medical, I don't want to say medical applications because I don't think you can classify combo as, as you know, put it into the Western medical spectrum just yet. But it's a substance that has tremendous health benefits that, that people um, anecdotally, so just, you know, when you hear the secondhand experience of people, when you hear their stories, the testimonials alone are pretty impressive. And one of the key points of why I wanted to talk to Neil, excuse me, was um, specifically about the treatment of Lyme disease, Lyme's disease. Some people, there are varying degrees of how severe Lyme's disease can be for some people, but collectively, usually it's a very difficult disease to navigate. There are lots of fatigue and lethargy problems. There is um, poor, you know, poor immunity. There's a lot of problems that come from, from dealing with that syndrome. And what Neil was talking about was people seeing the, the complete reversal of Lyme's disease with the use of combo medicine. That was originally why I got him on the podcast because I have um, friends and friends within my distant family who have Lyme's disease and who have struggled and friends of friends. And people have called me and inquired and through my research, my experience and who I've talked to, these, this is one of the ways that people have had tremendous success navigating the, the Lyme's disease process. So combo the way it's administered, they take um, what looks like the equivalent of like an incense stick when, and it's lit on one end. And for men, they do it on the arms. For women, they do it on the legs. But they start with a few burn marks in your arm, usually up towards the deltoid, the shoulder. And they'll start usually somewhere from one to three dots. Uh, in my case, I ended up needing nine. And I don't know if that's just because of my size and my constitution. But what they do is, is they is they the secretions from the combo frog the frog is never hurt and what they do is they bring the frog out of the forest they stretch its legs out and they kind of like tie its feet to like um they, they just spread it out and they don't hurt it but they spread out the the frog on some branches and they take a stick or some kind of um 
you know, like a little wand of wood, whatever you want to call it. They rub it along and they stimulate the uh, the frog's back and it secretes as a defense mechanism this, this secretion. Now, this secretion is definitely what you would say toxic to the animal kingdom. And specifically, one of the key points he brought up is that combo medicine, when it's applied through the skin, can be detoxifying, cleansing, and it's very intense, which I'll get into in a minute. But also, um, if you ingest it, it can kill you. So it's not something meant to be digested through the digestive tract. It's meant to be taken through the skin and where it can enter the, the lymph and bloodstream. When it enters that way, it's considerably... Um, different, right? If you ingest it, it's, it can kill you. And so this is why in the rainforest, <laughs> the combo frog has no no predators. It, it's nothing touches it because they know if they ingest it, they're going to likely die. <clears throat> so it's a really interesting thing to hear about how these, <clears throat> these tribes people have used combo medicine, administering it to children sometimes as young as three years old. And there are lots of things in the Amazonian rainforest that can kill you, snakes, spiders, there's all kinds of things, and when people have actually gotten, you know, bit by by snakes or spiders or things, they've actually used combo as a way to purge the toxins or the poisons out of their body. So it's an amazing detoxifying medicine, but very intense. So once the the secretion, okay, once they take it off the frog, it's it's dried, and then it's rolled up into these little sticky what what Neil called like boogies, you know, little they look like little resiny boogers, and that is then stored it's you know it's brought um you know to the west in various different places but then once the shaman has this this medicine these little boogies these little you know combo secretion boogies they basically put these right into the open burns that they put on your arm and the burns are very small i mean they're half the size of an eraser maybe even smaller they're very very tiny but then they put those secretions in there and within about 15 seconds you're starting to feel your heart rate go up you'll feel your heart pounding very strong you start to sweat. I'm just talking about my experience when I'm saying you, <clears throat> but I was I was sweating. And then these crippling waves of nausea come over you <clears throat> and you feel terrible. And you end up, you proceed to, to puke very, very strongly puking. And some people even have diarrhea and it, you always do it next to a bathroom. So in case that happens, you can go. But what happens apparently is, is when this, this, these this compound, this secretion gets into your bloodstream, your immune system says red alert. There's something in here that that is not supposed to be here. And so it makes you purge and it starts essentially dumping what's the contents of the organs. Now, I know if we hear that in the Western context, that doesn't make sense. And people will say that you, your organs can't dump anything out of them. And you have to just take that for what it is. It's a different way to think about the body. And there are lots of things that what you would call Eastern medicine and Western medicine, how they see the body are very different. So as opposed to trying to disprove it, this is conceptually the way they talk about it, but the organs essentially say, we need to dump out whatever is here because we don't know where this is coming from and everything's compromised to a degree. So the process is very intense. It's not pleasant, but when you come out of it, the mental clarity, the energy that I had coming out of that was astonishing. I felt incredibly good. And so this entire episode is just about that. It's about Neil talking about how the combo medicine is used, its roots, why it's important, why Westerners should consider it, especially if they have chronic health problems that are not being well treated or they're not having success with things in the larger context of their their health journey. 
So the combo medicine is definitely worth um, looking into. It's a great episode. So if you guys want to check it out, please do. And moving along, <clears throat> excuse me, right along to episode three with Michael Bovier, which was about uh, tonic herbs and food as medicine. Now, Michael Bovier runs foodhealing.org, and that is a, um, a website that has the top of the line, pristine of the pristine supplements and whole foods that you can use to live a very healthy lifestyle. I really strongly um, encourage you guys to check out his site. I buy stuff from his site all the time. Uh, tonic herbs, um, you know, all kinds of supplements, um, eat some whole foods. He makes amazing these Zen chocolates. He's got a really amazing thing that he's doing. And Michael comes from um, a martial arts background. He's a massage therapist. He's a Qigong practitioner. He's got a pretty eclectic, full ranging, you know, background in what he does. But one of the things that I why I wanted him on the show and why I wanted to get him on was one of the key threads that he talks about is this this idea is food is medicine. Now this is a big piece of my platform. It's what I talk about. And food is medicine is something that we don't typically think about it in a culture in the West. We think of food as sustenance for the most part. We think of it as a fuel source, which it is, but we think of it in terms of fats, proteins, carbohydrates, and we'll talk about macronutrients and micronutrients, but it's sort of a calorie game. That's the way it's thought about, right? How many calories in, how many calories out? It's just, it's a fuel source to keep the body moving and working, but we don't think of it as each food Excuse me. Sorry to be clearing my throat. Got a tickle there. But we, we don't think about it in terms of how how to look at food medicinally. And what that means is that each food that we eat has properties, just the way herbs do. Some foods will facilitate more health and encourage better, like say, liver health or kidney health. Some foods cleanse the blood better than others. Some foods lower cholesterol. Some foods lower blood pressure. We aren't taught to look at food this way. And when we don't look at food that way, we, we see food as food. All vegetables are created equal, more or less. Veggies are veggies. You know, carbs are carbs. Proteins are proteins. Fats are fats. And that's really not the case. And I think it's one of the glaring flaws that we have in the American educational system. I think kids in schools should be taught about food as medicine from the time they're little so they can make better food choices and to understand if they have symptoms. I mean, I can't tell you how many times that has come up where people are, are saying, you know, I've got, I've got, I'm nauseated. I have a, you know, my stomach is bothering me. And it's as simple as choosing the right foods that can actually, you eat a, you eat a dish with that, with specific foods in it, you can really help address that nausea. And there are foods that if you eat at that stage can also make it considerably worse. So when we talk about food as medicine, it's a, it's a concept that I think a lot of Americans sh- should get behind. If you want to live a healthier life and have more sustainable energy throughout your life, and if you want to guide your kids, if you have kids, to eat in a way that encourages them to think about food in a more broad spectrum, holistic way so that they make better food choices because everybody is different. Our physiology, every person's body is so uniquely different from the person next to them. And there's going to be threads that are similar, but not one one size diet doesn't fit all. 
And the more you understand about food dynamics and the more you understand about what foods do for you, the better choices you can make as you go through life. So Michael and I share a, a mutual passion in teaching and educating and talking to people about food as medicine. It's so critically important to understand that if you're going to walk through life and have any kind of measurable joy, health, vitality, and success in your living process. It's really important. Like It's one of the five pillars that I teach. Food is medicine. And everybody's different, right? Some people thrive on keto. Some people thrive on vegan. Some people pesco-vegetarian. Some people um, really thrive on uh, a paleo diet or a macrobiotic diet. There's so many different ways to go about it. So we talk about this idea, food is medicine, why it's important, why we should be thinking about it, why it's relevant to the culture. And then we jump into tonic herbs, which is, tonic herbs is something that I've always been interested in, but because I had so many interests in so many different directions that I wanted to study within the universe of Chinese medicine, it was always put on the side a little bit. Even though I lived with 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 you know dear friends and close friends who were who were so into the tonic herb scene i learned on the periphery and i had some very good experiences with them but it hasn't been um, an expertise of mine but that's changing i'm really pushing myself and, and in the past few years just dialoguing with tonic herbs more uh, given my age and I'm, I'm not old i feel fantastic um, in my body and in my mind but I'm 37 and typically after age 35 is when they say this is the time, right, uh, where you have to start really tending to the body because decline is happening whether we want to or not. You know, people at 35 say I'm not getting any younger and and I don't feel old, but I'm also just aware I'm also not 22. And 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 there's a there's a there's a grace that we have to have with aging and we have to accept that the body is not going to be able to do what it did in those younger years, but you can definitely slow the process down and you can definitely maintain an, a robust, vital constitution if you are taking the right things. And it's not about you know how much caffeine or how many stimulants we can get into our body because that does just the opposite. The, the, the taking in of caffeine and stimulants will produce stress hormone response. Cortisol levels go up, which makes you age faster. It makes your skin wrinkle quicker. makes your joints get weaker faster. makes your digestion go down. makes... Uh, for men, erections, you know, happen um, less often. Like we can have erectile dysfunction from too many stimulants and too much taxation of the adrenal and kidneys. So there, there's a penalty for using stimulants, you know, um, with the Adderall age, right? Everyone, you know, kids being prescribed basically a methamphetamine. These things wipe out your your body and they really stress you out. They can make you anxious, depressed with long-term use. So the beautiful thing with tonic herbs and where, where Michael was talking to me about and what I was, he was helping me learn even better, tonic herbs are a classification um, in Chinese medicine. They're what they call superior herbs. And then we get into something called adaptogens. And adapt, the word, the root word there, to adapt, right? To adapt to an environment, to a scenario. Adaptogenic herbs and tonics are herbs that are, for one, non-toxic. They have virtually no side effects. And sometimes in rare cases, people might have very mild um, side effects, but collectively across the board, there are no side effects. They're non-toxic and they can be taken for long periods of time. And the effects of the herbs will build. The more you take them consistently over, say, years, the health benefits, it's just like a reservoir in your body. Whatever, however the tonics work, they continue to build and help your system adapt. But tonic herbs are essentially these herbs that can go into your body and they help you adapt 
and they help you in a non-specific way adapt to stress. So if your body is running excess, say you have high blood pressure, it can help bring your blood pressure down. If you run low blood pressure, that same herb can bring it up. So it has a regulating effect in the body. And this is really important because some of us do run excess. Some of us are red-faced, high blood pressure, inflamed types. And some of us are weak, lethargic, low pulse, cold all the time. Everyone's body is different, but tonic herbs will help mitigate those factors up or down. And that's why they're so powerful. So in this episode, we talk about the, the, the key herbs and the key um, the, the, the tonics that you can look at that everyone should be taking and that everyone should be thinking about. So one of the, um, we talk about, uh, there's an herb called Hosho Wu, um, which, which can be bought, bought on his website. We talk about something called Shizandra. We talk about, I, I believe we talk about Ashwagandha. If we didn't, it was before the podcast, but Ashwagandha. We talk about ginseng, which is very prevalent and very well known. And these herbs when cultivated appropriately, can be amazing. And that's the other piece we talk about is cultivation. Just like everything in life, you have to tend to life if you want life-supporting activities to come out of it. And what that means is one of my good buddies, Kai Van Bodhi, who I haven't had on the podcast yet, but I will eventually, one of the things he was talking to me about recently was adaptogens. And he was saying, he said, ginseng, for instance, has a, has a nine-year cycle, typically seven to nine years. And what they talk about is the first three years of the ginseng plant, the root, okay, when it's growing, it produces what you would call male plant hormones, the first three years. The second three years, it produces all female plant hormones. And in the last three years of its life, it produces an equal amount of, of male plant hormones and female plant hormones. And that's the time when you want to pull it out. So what you're taking into your body essentially is, it's almost like a biomarker, right? It, it's like a, um, a biological rhythm. This this plant, this root has lived a life cycle through various different seasons, has produced hormones throughout its life cycle. And when you pluck it out of the ground, it's got a balance of both with the innate intelligence of those first six years built into it. And so when you take it in, the ginseng is regulating to your body. If you're in Chinese medicine school, they'll also be careful giving ginseng to people because people will get like higher blood pressure. They'll get a faster pulse. They'll get a they'll get a red face, and that comes from low quality ginseng. That means young ginseng that was grown only three to four years, and the predominance of the hormones in that plant were male or young or stimulating, and therefore people would have these responses. And unfortunately, they'll say, "Be careful with ginseng," and it's like, no, you don't really have to be as careful with ginseng as you think you do. You have to get quality ginseng that's been grown appropriately. And so Michael and I talk about that process and who to buy from specifically. He's one of the guys because he works with Ron Teagarden, who's an amazing tonic herbalist out of Southern California and has property all over the world. So in any case, this is um, a recap of the first three episodes. Javier Rodriguez, uh, Gung Fu on the Mountain for nine years. Number two, combo medicine, detoxification through the secretions of the combo frog. And then three, Michael Bovier, food is medicine and the use of tonic herbs. So I hope this finds you guys well. Please let me know if you have any questions or comments and uh, check out the episodes when you get a chance. Thanks.